Makers of Sport Podcast, Episode 80, with Infinite Scale. And welcome to episode 80 of the Makers of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. If you're curious about the skip in sequence numbers from our last episode, then that's because our last podcast was actually a halftime episode, and those are now for community members only. If you enjoyed those and you're interested in getting those, you can join the community where you'll get all future halftime episodes along with their transcriptions, access to live Q&As with future former and special guests, monthly Google Hangouts, and especially an invite to the Makers of Sports Slack channel where there are quite a few people in there having fun as you're listening to this now. To join there, that's at makersofsport.com slash community. Today on the podcast, I'm very happy to welcome the founding partners of Infinite Scale Design Group, a Salt Lake City, Utah sports design consultancy specializing in environmental design, brand activation, signage systems, and partner integrations such as sponsors, donors, or naming rights. The firm was founded in 2002 after the 2002 Winter Olympic Games held in Salt Lake City and has designed for a wide range of environmental projects such as the Super Bowl, numerous all-star games, numerous college football bowls, and recently their notable work for the 2016 NHL All-Star Game as well as the previous two college football playoffs. Creative Operations Director Amy Lucas creative director Cameron Smith, and brand integration director Molly Mazzolini are with us for this episode. Welcome to the show, guys. I appreciate you taking the time to come aboard. Excellent. Thanks, Thank Adam. you. Hey, Hello. Adam. So this is, uh, you're telling me this is a very rare, rare moment. We're very lucky to have all three of you in the same room. <laughs> yes, that is true. We, um, we, as partners, don't get a, a lot of opportunities to be in the same room together, although we're in the same office. We're working on many different projects and, and pulled in different directions, but we're happy to be here today and look forward to sharing our story with you. Awesome. Well, I did give a bit of a bird's eye view of Infinite Scale, and I definitely want to go more into that. But before we do go there, why don't each of you kind of take this time and give us a rundown of how you got started in this world of design and branding, where your own love of sport comes from, and your eventual path to founding the company. And I figure we'll just go in alphabetical order as you're listed on your site. So Amy, starting with you, then Cameron, then Molly, what's your story? <laughs> awesome. I love it. We were we were wondering who was going to go first here. We were drawing draws. <laughs> <laughs> um, Fantastic. Well, I actually am originally from Ohio, where I studied at the University of Cincinnati, the College of uh, Design, Architecture, Art, and Planning, um, the study of graphic design. And in that program, I actually had an opportunity to intern in, in many different um, industries in, in the graphic design world, including magazine publishing, um, print and collateral, and then eventually landed my way to some firms that um, got 
gave me exposure to environmental graphic design. From there, I actually moved out to Los Angeles and was working for a firm out there, working on some really amazing projects. Um, one of the last projects that I worked on prior to Salt Lake City was the LAX International Airport, um, working on the wayfinding and the brand integration and the huge LAX letters, the identity of the LAX airport. And then an opportunity fell in my lap to work for the Salt Lake City Olympics, and that was in 1999, October of 99, where I pretty much dropped my life in L.A., moved to Salt Lake City with really never even had been here before um, for this great opportunity for, you know, sport and design, my passion. Um, I'm an athlete myself, not a obviously not a professional athlete, <laughs> um, but it's, it's a passion. Um, it's, I grew up with sports, played volleyball, basketball, track, you know, you name it. It was, yeah, running, yoga, mountain biking, everything. <laughs> um, but, but the way that sports play a role in my life and the way that sports has played a role in, in many lives, um, it's very powerful. And to add the passion of, of the design aspect and how the environment really influences the athletes and the performance and the feeling and the emotion. Um, it's, it really felt like a great connection to work for the Salt Lake City Olympics. So that's where I kind of just dropped everything in L.A., moved to Salt Lake City, and that's where I met Molly and Cameron um, while working at the Olympics here. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Cameron, why don't you pick up there? Well, uh, you know, we all we all uh, migrated here um, for the Olympics, and so the story is very similar. Um, I moved from Dallas. Uh, I, I basically grew up in Texas and um, had studied design, went to uh, grad school for design, and, and right out of school, um, you know, instead of going to work for an advertising agency, um, I I found my way into working on feature films and. Um, very, I don't know, it was a, kind of a, um, it was a glimpse into my future and I didn't know it at the time, but the first movie I worked on was a, a, a feature film about football. It was a funny movie called mm-hmm. Necessary Roughness. But within that movie, um, I designed uniform systems. I uh, did full graphic systems for football stadiums, designed locker rooms, uh, historic, like, legacy elements it was just on and on and on right and um you know and it was a lot of fun like right out of school and uh it was actually a really long film i I guess comparative to to feature film um so i worked on that for about six months straight and uh did all this sport branding um then went into the world of of uh of branding uh proper where uh the firm that i worked for in dallas was focused on sport elements um packaging for shoes and basketballs and footballs and trade shows for Fox sports and on and on and on. Um, so I was exposed there. And, and at this, uh, at the same time, I was very athletic. I raced bikes in college and was, um, ran marathons, etc. And, uh, so, you know, I think that's where we all kind of sync up. We were all interested in sport on some level or another. And then I had the opportunity to move to Salt Lake and um, work on the look of the games for the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter Games. And, um, yeah, we fell in love with it. And, and as, you know, I, I would say that I selfishly um, knew two really smart uh, and good-looking women and uh, which is very helpful, <laughs> um, you know, Thank you, and uh, 
Um, I didn't want to leave Salt Lake, so I, I had kind of said to Amy and then Molly, like, look, I, I don't want to leave, and, and I think, you know, we, we've been working so long together and haven't, you know, killed each other um, uh, after working on such a stressful and difficult project. And, and, and at the same time, really, it was a, a pivotal moment in each one of our careers where it was kind of at, uh, it was probably the biggest projects that we had worked on. Uh, biggest responsibilities, and for the first time ever in, in Olympic uh, Winter Games, for sure, um, the look of the games was driven from an in, inside and not kind of distributed to all the different design firms and architecture firms across a region or a state or a nation. Um, and that allowed us to really control that, and it was very successful. And um, you know, so when we decided to start Infinite Scale, it was, you know, we had uh, name recognition and kind of a credibility that um, allowed us to start our business. And it's affordable here, and, you know, we were able to kind of do all those things and kind of plan as the Olympics were winding down to buy computers and find an office, et cetera, et cetera. So right. it just all fell into place. Molly. I'm up. Yeah, your turn. <laughs> So I have about, my background is um, in, in the brand world where um, I have almost 20 years of brand experience in the sport industry. And I say almost because about a year plus of that was selling drywall, um, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, for, uh, one of two kind of um, foreshadowing moments in, in my career where it actually helped um, do what we do now and get an understanding of the construction of venues um, and the sales process and what um, it takes to have a product and a large corporation and um, run a business. Right. Um, so although it doesn't sound connected when you, you know, take a look at it on maybe a resume list form, it actually was really informative for um, my career and career path. And from there, I actually worked with the summer games for the Olympics, started out as an intern in Atlanta in 1995, and then worked during the actual games. So it's really incredible to have summer and winter games experience on the Olympic side. But where I moved from, like Amy and Cameron, we all moved from different areas and we didn't know anybody in Salt Lake City, um, nor each other. But um, I moved from Lexington, Kentucky, I was, oh, really? Yes. <laughs> That's where I'm based, at. I know. You're based there, right? Yeah. Um, so I worked in the University of Kentucky Sports Information Department. Okay. And, um, so in athletics, and um, we probably have um, a lot of friends in common. Um, but I um, really, really loved my time there and, and still keep in touch with um, a lot of people there. And, in fact, um understanding the stat side of sports and the connectivity between the media members and the coaches and the athletics department has been really influential in our work, um, not only on the collegiate side, but the professional side as well. Right. And um, so to be able to carry all of those things through and kind of marry them together when, um, for example, I moved from Lexington to um, Salt Lake City to work for the U.S. Olympic Committee, where Amy and Cameron were working for the Salt Lake Organizing Committee. And um, it 
was a, a really incredible opportunity on the brand side to work with all the sponsors and suppliers of the games. But where we came together was, um, you know, this story will start to unfold throughout the podcast was the opportunity on the design side for us to connect the dots visually for what the corporate partners were doing, public facing and, and what was happening with all of the official venues for the Olympics. And, um, and that really um, was, a, you know, another foreshadowing moment for infinite scale is the way that we all came together and worked together and met each other at, at the Olympics um, and how it's evolved into um, 14 plus years for infinite scale. That's awesome. Well, I do, I want to ask about the the Salt Lake City Olympics because and Cameron and Amy you because you work for the city you might have a different answer to this but are those are the, I mean you know that's a temporary job going in right I mean you know that like you're eventually going to have to find something else so how like it, it's a bold move to move to a city to work on something like that knowing that you have to move on yes that is true we um, when we each came on we had an end date to our contracts. And, um, you know, I think that we were all excited enough about the opportunity and knew, you know, just had the confidence that knowing that it was going to bring such great experience that, you know, wherever we were at the end, we could find our next chapter. And, you know, fortunately for us, because all of us moving from different places, as Molly mentioned, um, we all fell in love with Salt Lake City. My plan was to originally move back to LA. I had a good life in LA. I liked the beach. It was all good. (laughs) Um, Great friends. Um, I wasn't looking to leave there, but after living in Salt Lake City for three years, three or four years even, um, it just, it's a a great quality of life. And each of us in our conversations, what are you doing after the game? What are you doing after the games led to the start of infinite scale where we decided we wanted to create a a foundation here. And we didn't have a major plan. We just knew we could work well together and we wanted to stay in Salt Lake city. We knew we had the same core values and really um, were passionate about sport and design. And that's kind of where infinite, infinite scale started. Yeah. So, when you start something like this, I mean, this isn't something that, like, I, I'm a freelancer full time, so that's what I do every single day. But this isn't something that just any freelancer can pop out and say, "This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to design these major environmental graphics for these big stadiums and all of these things." So I'm curious a little bit about what it took to sort of get going. I mean, Molly, you mentioned that you had some experience in kind of the blue collar construction industry knowing some things, but you, you had to obviously build relationships with contractors and fabricators and, and, and then also sports executives. So can, can you talk a little bit about that beginning and maybe what like was your first big project? Sure. Happy to our, you know, one of our first big projects was creating the um, legacy for the 2002 Olympic Winter Games, which is um, right up the road from our studio at the University of Utah's Rice-Eccles Stadium. It's their football stadium. And um, on the south side of their stadium footprint, 
was a facility that allowed for kind of like a, a gallery style experience on the inside, but on the exterior, um, creating these this beautiful panel treatment system where one was representative for each day of the games. Um, the cauldron still sits there today. The Hoberman Arch once stood there. Um, I'm using kind of a combination of past and present because um, there was an agreement between the University of Utah and the International Olympic Committee to have it standing there for 10 years. And since we're past the 10-year mark, um, certain elements have been kind of removed and dismantled um, to provide for a better game day experience, but they're still um, being um, reserved and collected for a future life. Um, But the cauldron still sits there today and an infinite scale was asked to help master plan that with the architect and um, and to help design and oversee the implementation and fabrication of all of those pieces um, to be the legacy for the 2002 Olympic Winter Games. We also work with um, a lot of the Olympic venues that are here. Um, Salt Lake has an amazing foundation that allows for the implementation of money as well as championships, including a lot of world championship events, and to be able to upkeep the beautification side of some of these venues and the legacy elements for the games that still sit on these venues. Um, We always love to help out on those types of projects. But it wasn't until um, probably about 18 months after we started we received um, an invitation from the NFL to do the um, to propose on the look of Super Bowl, and Cameron can tell you a little bit about that experience because it really was an amazing opportunity for Infinite Scale as such a young company to have the opportunity to go up against ten companies that were invited, shortlisted to four. And then how did we find out about getting the <laughs> right? Getting the big show? Um, I'll, I'll kind of go into that story a little bit, uh, high level. But, you know, we were, we, through our relationship um, with certain key folks at, at the Olympic uh, Committee um, who were also involved with other Olympics and the Super Bowl specifically, uh, we ended up on that on that list, and um, we were given a very short time frame to kind of get all of the opportunities and and dive into the creative um, and and deliver a proposal. One of the things that we you know there were a couple of neat little things that we found out. This was Jacksonville Super Bowl thirty nine. Um, so I went out and did a an opportunity assessment of all the venues, and um, uh, unfortunately got. Food poisoning while I was there too, so that was a lot of fun. Oh, <laughs> but um, made made for the whole thing to be, you know, just great, a crazy, a good story. <laughs> yeah, um, no we turned this, we turned the RFP around in about uh, a week. A week. Wow. Um, creating the look of of the event and extrapolating that across all the venues. Um, and the, the other thing that we created too was a video, and the video was kind of the emotional kind of got got the uh, panel, the committee kind of fired up, we were hoping, um, as we presented our design strategy, how we would tackle the project and deliver on it. Uh, we showed creative and then we showed this video that had music and kind of this, you know, 
kind of energy and excitement and emotion to it. Um, one of the things that we found out when we were kind of digging around in Jacksonville is that it was the lightning strike capital of the United States, and we had we had this uh, cool image of downtown Jacksonville with a lightning strike. And um, so we're proposing, we're presenting um, to this panel of like ten or so folks up, and they have their back to a window uh, while we're presenting. Uh, and this video is going off. Uh, Behind them, the storm brews up and this massive <laughs> lightning it's serendipitous. behind them and like bit, literally shook the whole building. And, uh, you know, I was, I got all cheerleader with it. And I was like, you feel that energy? And <laughs> you know, kind of got them all riled up. And so, you know, we leave, we leave the meeting uh, feeling pretty good about ourselves, you know, and, and we gave it a chance. We gave it a shot and we, we knew that we had one in, in 10 chance. We get back to our hotel crack a beer, start celebrating, and uh, we get a call, and they're like, are you still in town? And we're like, yeah. And they're like, can you come back over to our office? And we got back over there. They awarded us the project. Wow, that's awesome. Lucky, Luckily, you aren't too many beers deep <laughs> at that point. <laughs> well, I, I'm, this is also interesting to me because one of the things that I love about the design industry and then also the way that the internet uh, allows us to make these connections everywhere nowadays is sort of, Building, building out your own companies and entrepreneurship. Well, one of the ways that obviously going into that, a lot of times people are afraid when you get into these pitches or these types of things, like, are you in the same? I remember I bid on something for the University of Michigan once. And I remember I was just afraid of being like in the same like price range, right? Because if you go in and say there's like a, uh, just to kind of keep the math simple, like a $20,000 you know gap between the work and you come in and you're like, $100,000 cheaper, then it makes you look like a total amateur. So were you guys, was there any like nervousness coming into that where you're like, are we going to even like be in the same ballpark with these types of things or, or that type of thing? And then also even just presenting the work from a pitch perspective, because we're talking about uh, one thing with branding is you have to give a brand context. I think we all know that if you just show a logo on like a white piece of paper, the, the, client, the client has no context and they're basically looking at the design. But with what you guys do, you sort of build this visual language that transcends all these different elements. So how are you sort of piecing that stuff together, especially in the beginning, creating that stuff? Because I'd imagine you've refined your process over the years. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and there's a couple questions in there. And I'll start with the, you know, were we nervous about presenting the budget and, you know, our fees and how it would, how it would shake down? I would say no, because, um, you know, they gave us, they gave us a global budget um, and they gave that to everyone, you mm-hmm. know. And, and with that, we, you know, based on our experience with the Salt Lake Games, we're very knowledgeable about the appropriate kind of uh, allocations for each of the venues and, you know, a typical venue. And so, you know, we were very familiar with production and install and design service fees. So we really took that global budget and kind of broke it down. And, and also in the way that you present it, it's like this is, this is a, a starting point. It's a roadmap. And as we get into the process, it evolves and we work together with you to make that happen. So I think in, in that regard, um, you know, we were re- pretty confident going in. And I think in regard to, yeah, presenting the look and feel without really having the conversations, we present it more as as strategy and thought. Again, you know, we always um, work with 
work with each of our clients in developing that together. And so we're telling the story from the key aspects of, you know, being in Jacksonville and, and it's the Super Bowl story and it's the championship. And and we look at all those key points and what are those brand touch points that, that would pull it all together to make it a unique experience. But we talk about it in a way that we understand the story and we want to work with the, our clients to, you know, bring that story to life. Is there... Is there a conversation that you've had over the years, especially in those early days where it seems like this sort of visual language is fairly new, where you kind of take a, an identity and build out these additional visual assets that sort of scale? Whereas, you know, years ago, branding was you just stamped your logo on everything. So was there an education process where you, where you had to sort of educate these people, like, look, there are these additional visual elements we can develop that can be pushed out to all these other areas that sort of communicate your brand, but they're not necessarily stamping the logo everywhere? Yes, sir. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's really quite incredible to, to be a part of a conversation with a client where they have light bulb moments and they, they understand that, you know, there's different types of brand and design disciplines and that infinite scale can help them um, translate their 2d work so like their their logo that could be um, digitally implemented or on you know business cards or kind of more flat treatments to a 3d where it's more physical and it can allow um, their patrons or their fans to really experience it, whether it's a, a tangible or intangible way, and how all these different disciplines and elements come together, whether we're, we're, we're working directly with their internal creative department or just as infinite scale or with other creative consultants, um, all of these different design disciplines come together and allow us to create an incredible experience in the world of sport and entertainment. There's a lot of crossover there too. And the only way we can do that is with the collaboration uh, with the client. Very cool. So Cameron, you mentioned initially, especially with that Jacksonville Super Bowl, you went out and did an assessment of the city. Uh, are the Is this thing typical? I'm not privy to this world. So I've got a lot of sort of maybe elementary questions for you guys. Um, but is this thing that's typical on a project like that? Or are you running across some projects where a client is coming in and saying, this is where we want to put things? I think um, you can look at it from both sides. I mean, obviously, if we're talking about an event, um, the event has a lot of components to it. And um, you know, I, I was just in Toronto last week. Uh, we're working on the World Cup of Hockey for the NHL and the NHL Players Association. Um, and, uh, you know, it's happening at Air Canada Center, Center and that's where the, the Raptors and the Maple Leafs play. So they have an idea that, you know, here's where we're playing and here are the things that they've done in the past for the NBA All-Star that just happened there, which we were not a part of, but... Um, and then there are seasonal kind of applications that they go through uh, with each team. And then here are five hotels and here's the downtown and how do you activate all that? Um, we often go in and say, you know, we're given a list. Here, here are these five hotels, as an example. Here's Air Canada Center. Now what would you do with them? Here's, what we, here's, a, here's a, an audit of what's been done in the past. We might take that and say, yeah, parts of that work. We might take it and say, you know what, we need to kind of scrape this and start over and try to create a different experience, right? Because it's a different event. And uh, that's, that's what we're hoping to do with that particular event. They very much had in their minds that, um, you know, here's what we've done in the past. 
Um, but as we started to talk through it with the client, again, it's a very collaborative thing for us. It's not prescripted and it's not, you know, it's not out of a box. So we walk in and start talking about this thing in a, in a different way. And all of a sudden, their, their minds changed. They started to maybe um, see the possibilities that they hadn't really thought about. And, um, you know, and that's part, part of my job sometimes is to kind of, you know, talk uh, big, big concepts and, uh, and kind of get people excited about the possibilities. And, and again, the, the, with the point of creating a unique experience, because each, each event that we do or each venue that we work on, it's a certain time and a certain place and time. It's a certain group of cast of characters uh, specific to teams and, and regions or cities. And they all are, you know, everything's evolving and organic. It's, there's nothing, um, you know, you could say that the branding is maybe consistent uh, to some degree, but, you know, beyond that, you take all these atmospheric elements and start to use those as filters to kind of create a, a unique experience. When creating these things, there there are a lot of, we were talking about context earlier, branding and context and just visual design and context. There's a lot of elements or 3D spaces that, you would essentially be creating for. Are you guys taking fo- like high resolution photographs of these things and mocking them up, or are you sort of presenting more of like a mood board type structure? I'm just curious, like if I'm if I'm working with you, like what am I seeing to sort of approve like this type of stuff? Especially when you can't just yeah, I do a lot of work in digital, right? So it's like I can just mock stuff up and throw it out there, <laughs> and I'm good. <laughs> but you guys have actual physical things that exist in the world that you have to take into account. Uh, I'll I'll start and I'll let all three, all three of us can kind of answer bits and pieces of that. I mean, yes, you're talking about a 3D environment, whether it's a, a temporary event or permanent physical uh, applications into that um, facility. Um, we go in and look for opportunities, as I kind of expressed earlier, and then we start to um, work on creative, and then we have you obviously have to fill those opportunities with creative, and then we do that through mock-ups and contextualization so people can kind of understand it because oftentimes uh, straight-up elevations um, are hard to interpret uh, in a 3D space. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think when we start the conceptual development for any project, whether it's an event or it's a wayfinding project, we do start with the high-level conceptual thinking, the mood board, the style, the type, the color, the textures, the patterns, you know, what story are we telling? But as Cameron was just mentioning, um, especially on the event side, you know, really applying it into the physical environment is key because if you just show, for instance, to simplify uh, a graphic treatment in just an elevation on a page, on a white page, and then you take that and you apply it into the context, the a photo that we took while on site, it has a really different feeling and it will either show that it works or it doesn't work in the environment. A lot of times, um, if we're given a, a style guide, perhaps sometimes we're given a style guide with some of the events that we work on, sometimes not. But many cases, the style guides are really created more for collateral or web and not necessarily for the environment, where in the environment, things need to be simplified. They need to have a quick read. Uh, you know, you, you scale things very differently in environmental graphics than standard, you know, typical graphic design applications. Very cool. So I do, I do want to kind of, you guys have been explaining this 
already, but I do want to talk about the word brand. And we've talked about how sometimes it can be misconstrued as a word and people think brand, they think logo and it, it can be confusing to understand what a brand is if one isn't familiar with things like strategy and visual language and the overall conveying the overall personality of a company or product. But brand activation is a word that you guys specifically use as one of your services. And even though you guys have essentially been describing it, I'm curious if just for listeners that aren't familiar with what that is, there's a lot of junior designers that maybe listen to the show or even marketers or SIDs that listen that don't really understand what this type of stuff is. Can you sort of explain almost like in, in a Twitter bio what a brand activation is? We give me a couple more characters, and I'm sure we can. Make it <laughs> yeah, up. yeah. Go ahead. No, just a short, you know, a short, short sort of definition of what it is, because we've 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 been discussing some very complex topics, and I know that it's a complex word. So, just how would you explain maybe what a brand activation is to to uh, just a client that asks you what is a brand activation? Sure, we can totally do that. Um, you know, we're based in Salt Lake City, and the NBA team here is the Utah Jazz, and and we're um, very fortunate enough to be able to call them a client. Um, so just, you know, using them as an example, they activate their brand in, in a variety of ways. Digitally, you can reach out and see them, um, you know, via the social mediums from, you know, website to their Twitter handle, um, Instagram, et cetera. In fact, they just had a huge launch last week something that Infinite Scale wasn't a part of, but they did internally, which they had a, a new um, jersey and logo launch. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's cool about that is I was talking to the vice president of communications there, and he mentioned that they did not have a press conference. They did everything via the social mediums that they have and all of their handles. They just put it all out there. They created beautiful imagery. They created the story and the content, and they just pushed it out through those channels, um, which is a it's it's a very unique and innovative way to do that. And that's how people found out about it because they were retweeting or forwarding the different messages and and um, in within the media that was put out there. That is a way of activating their brand. Going to a game at Vivint Smart Home Arena is also another way to activate their brand. Um, so they they have different kind of channels and, and ways in which that they can, their fans can experience the Utah Jazz, whether they're watching a game, whether it's more kind of um, news in style. Um, and, and that continues on and on, whether it's um, off season or on season. And for infinite scale, the way we layer into that process would be um, more of the game experience, how fans would engage on site at Vivint Smart Home Arena when they're going to see a game, when they approach the building, how do they feel? How do they know that it's game night or game day? Um, and when they enter the building, what are the different types of experiences that they have from street to seat, if you will? Um, and and. We're also um, working with them on the renovation of the Zion's Bank Basketball Center, which is their training facility. And so with their, you know, with that particular project, our, um, the target audience changes because the public is not allowed into that space. It is a player environment and it's very player centric. And so um, what is the messaging there? And that changes. And we're in the process of, 
developing that strategy with them um, as to what all those types of uh, their kind of home bases, if you will, between the players at the training facility and the fans at the arena and how we can create all of those different brand touch points and how we literally activate them through the graphic design discipline that Infinite Scale provides um, and, and consults with them as well as works in collaboration with their internal creative department as well. Right. And then sometimes you guys uh, will take things that maybe are already designed by another firm. Uh, for example, you guys had the opportunity to work on the environmental graphics and brand activation of the first and second ever college football playoff. And we, we m- many of us know the visual identity was designed by renowned New York design firm Pentagram. But you guys took what they did and scaled it into sort of a replicable visual language to be applied as multiple executions for this event. I actually read in a Sports Business Journal article that your approach on this project was a bit different than some of your other projects. Can you talk a little bit about working with the college football playoff? Maybe the pressure that was involved on a project that large and if there's any sort of stories that <laughs> that you can tell that maybe us as listeners or, or even just viewers of the event are not familiar with. Yeah, I'll, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, we were the CFP was um, very smart to engage with a firm that doesn't necessarily um, only do sport identity projects, and 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 I think with that, Pentagram delivered to them a, a very unique and kind of um, di- different identity. Um, you know, it was kind of devoid of all the trappings. And uh, was very iconic in its in its um, nature, um, and so ultimately we got the identity. So kind of going back to the brand, um, we got the logo, the identity. We got the the color palette. That was three colors: gold, black, and white. And then um, and we got a typographic treatment. And from there, we then developed. We took that and kind of developed the branding that helps support that. And that's when we started to, you know, what is this identity supposed to represent? It's obviously a football, but it looks like an emoticon almost. It's, it's a bit pictographic. Um, so we started to kind of use all of those, uh, again, those ideas to develop a system that could support it and, and tell the story of, of CFP, which is a football playoff. And part of that logo also is a bracket, right? So we started to create these patterns that um, – use that bracket icon, the football icon, and uh, we started to plug it into uh, a system of all the conferences, all the teams, and um, create this texture that could kind of speak to the nature of the mark and, again, extend the branding and and give us assets to play with in in the environment. Um, So I think, you know, it was unique in that, it allowed us to kind of set for the first time, uh, you know, a very high profile event and the look of that um, at a at a level I think that they were hoping to achieve. Um, we were told that we achieved that <laughs> through various sources from SBJ to to our clients directly um, and, and other industry professionals who, you know, came to came to that first uh, event in Dallas and, and were just awesome for us but they were just gushing about how amazing the event looked and it you know almost looked um it still looked collegiate but it felt like premium and kind of on another level from other events and um you know yeah i totally agree with that i mean that it's events can almost 
especially since events are tied to sort of a specific time and place, they can be very trendy. And almost in some instances, they can come off as cheesy. We talked about sort of these typical design elements that are thrown into, look at any logo of the 90s, basically. I use this mm-hmm. as an example all the time. But if you look at those in today's, con- like in that context, they're interesting in that, oh, this is something new and people were maybe sort of experimenting with software and things that could be done there technology-wise. But now, if you look at those in today's context, we sort of all laugh at them, right? But the one thing about the pentagram identity, and I think this is the same with what you guys did, I, I, I really like the work that you guys did on that, is that it it's simple to the to the point that you know, we talk about the pentagram identity being iconic and it, you know, I'll be completely honest. Like I didn't really like the pentagram identity when it first came out. And I think I was just sort of like stuck in that vein of college identities need to look like this. Right. But for me, a lot of times when I see something applied, that's when I really can make a judgment on it. And to me, what you guys did complimented that and, and made me actually like the identity honestly in the, in the long run. And I think uh, you, you hit the nail right on the head and being an outsider viewing this, I think that you achieved that goal in making it something that sort of felt a little more, I don't know if upscale is the word or just different, right? Like this is a, a big, massive event. This is probably one of the most valuable sports properties ever. Right. Well, thank you for those comments. I mean, Again, we had a client, the, the, I think the most, um, the most important part of this whole process was that our clients were open to us delivering to them something kind of on a, uh, different and unique and kind of um, not necessarily at our discretion because they were very much a part of it, but they didn't, they didn't hinder us from uh, setting this new standard, I think, uh, with uh, at least this premium collegiate event. Did you guys hear from them at all? Like, I mean, I, I know that you probably didn't work directly with Pentagram because they were probably essentially done at that point and had billed and been paid for and are now working on whatever MIT or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, actually we did. We're, we're friends with a lot of our design community and especially in the environmental graphic world. Um, it's a much smaller niche world. So uh, I served on the board of directors with um, one of the partners at Pentagram who led the identity. He was actually at the game. We connected um, and congratulated each other because we were both honored and proud to see it come to life and to see our work and watching everyone experience it in different ways from being a fan to watching the athletes to seeing it on TV. So it was a proud moment for for our teams collectively to be a part of that together. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Well, and another another project you guys worked on recently was the Nashville All-Star Game for the NHL. And in that instance, a former guest, alumni in front of the show, the guys at at Fan Brands worked on the, the visual identity for that. And then you guys, correct me if I'm wrong here, took that and did the activation. Is that right? Correct. Correct. Yeah, we, um, yeah, we're very familiar with fan brands and love their work. And and you know, with the and the NHL is a great client. Um, again, they kind of let us flex our muscles with uh, our our just creative muscles with their events. Um, and you know, I think with Nashville, uh, Paul Conway is the NHL creative director um, who works with fan brands on on developing these identity systems. Um, and again, I think Amy kind of mentioned it earlier. A lot of a lot of times, these style guides are basically developed for consumer products, so they're done way in advance. You know, we actually don't chime in about the identity systems that are being developed because, again, they're kind of they're kind of designed for another purpose. And then when we get those systems we 
kind of evolve them and take them to another level. With Nashville, though, Fan Brands did a really great job and built a lot of um, great supporting elements. And so it was, I wouldn't say it's easier, but it was easier for us to kind of develop a system and um, have it, you know, live in the environment and speak to what we think, what we thought Nashville was about. You know, Molly's sister lives there, so we were able to kind of go and like eat local, which we always do. We don't go and and go to Chili's, <laughs> right? <laughs> and we go eat or whatever. We we go eat local. We go drink local. We hang out local. We try to like really absorb the place and kind of try to use those as inspirational elements mm-hmm. to um, build our systems. And you know, it's very abstractly, but. Um, yeah, Nashville was a lot of fun, and and you know I I have to say the the best part about it one it's a fun town it's all about music um, kind of reminds me of my days in Austin but um, the the really the key to that event and and I we talk about this often is that all of almost every single one of the venues was downtown within a walking distance and they activated uh, a street concert um, event outside and it was just a wonderful event I mean. Couldn't get much better, really. I mean, you could leave your hotel wherever you're staying downtown. You could walk, and you would encounter our our work, um, the work of, of fan brands as well, and uh, and, and kind of get excited um, wherever you were. And that I think that was key to that event. Well, I think the the hat show print uh, element really was awesome because I've I've seen Jim Sheradden speak. Being I mean, obviously being in Lexington, I'm just three hours from Nashville, so I'm very familiar with the scene. <laughs> it's one of my favorite cities actually is Nashville. Yeah. Uh but yeah, I mean that's uh you know, it's it's something where honestly in sport, like I never would have thought that something like that would have tied in. But there is a there is a bit of a because it's it's sort of printmaking and old school like letter pressing type stuff. But also there is, I think one of you, you mentioned earlier that there is a, a parallel to sports and entertainment, right? They just belong together. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think that, that's a, that was a beautiful opportunity to merge those together. Let's, um, let's talk about Kyle Field. You guys did, the, did uh, the wayfinding signage at Kyle Field at Texas A&M University. And most of the time, I would imagine on these big environmental stadium projects, you're tasked with creating an, an environment that already exists. But in this case, you're looking at a brand new stadium, new architectural designs, and essentially a start from scratch. So in a project like that, how's that different in terms of you're trying to merge history with a very passionate fan base uh, with with the new architecture and sort of the new beginnings in the SEC? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, we're, we're lucky a lot. Um, you know, there's a percentage of our clients that are architects, um, sport architects specifically, and we, we work with them as kind of an extension of their, of their group, um, but also working directly with the universities uh, or pro teams, whatever the case may be, on these, uh, these, these either new build or renovation projects. And in the case of Kyle Field, it was a renovation project. Um, but not just your typical renovation. It was a full gut job. They imploded half of the stadium and rebuilt it. Um, and, you know, it was interesting uh, within the studio, like Molly and I kind of like led that internally. And, you know, part, part of getting to a place where we could start the design was really thinking about um, the, the, the kind of the theming. Yeah. Go ahead, Mal, if you want to talk about that a little bit. Oh, the, you know, every time we start a project, it's especially on, on the event side, 
Um, but really, it's, it's part of our overarching process is that there's a theme or a story behind it. And Adam, you're very keen to zone in on that as, as part of the process. And what it does is it allows um, the kind of business objectives to meet the creative objectives for each one of our projects. And it also sets the tone for our team. So we know that, you know, the concepts that we're going to develop via the, the different design disciplines will be um, shown to the client knowing that everybody's on the same page. And so the, the venue theme was um, started right at the beginning, working very closely with the architect Populous out of Kansas City. And um, they shared with us their experience of working with the client and have allowed us to put together the concept of the venue team collaboratively with them to then go back and, and share with the client and to use as like a, um, a design footprint, if you will, moving forward. And um, so with that, we were able to implement that into the overarching project um, that is, is really quite um, a massive thing to do, knowing that the history and tradition there is, is so important um, not only for the school, um, but since they were um, new members within the SEC conference, um, but knowing that the history and the legacy is there and is so important. Um, and to marry that with, you know, the kind of um, present and the future and everyone who would be walking into that facility was so, um, you know, it, it was a huge task for us and, um, and definitely something that we took seriously and um, in the process, Amy can expand on um, in terms of, you know, the, the timing of it and um, what an incredible opportunity that Infinite Scale had to be able to activate that physically. Absolutely. And I think the um, beautiful thing about working on the Kyle Field project was that we were brought on not only for the theming and the, you know, the integration, the the partner integration and the wayfinding, we were also brought on for a very unique um, experience called the Hall of Champions. And this was a, a interactive experience uh, for all the fans and um, VIPs that would come into Kyle Field that was a space uh, approximately um, 300 feet long. It was the length of a football field um, and basically was in parallel to the football field, the actual football field where people would come in and experience through interactive displays, the history, find out information about championships, key players, um, their story. And with this space, the uniqueness of this space was that 300 days out of the year, it was also used as a multi-purpose space. So they would have galas in there. They would have conferences and events. So as we were designing the space, it it had to be a mobile experience. So you could move these um, kiosks and interactive displays around, but yet some were permanent and kind of, you know, uh, create a different experience for this space. So beyond the wayfinding and, you know, the typical integration that we would do on a project like this, this, this allowed for a much higher level of involvement with this project and um, the client to create that, that next level of experiences for the fans. And that particular project did win the uh, best sports stadium, right? From Sports Business Journal? Um, in terms of Sports Business Journal, yes. So the client did um, did 
put in that specific um, venue. And the the same year, so did the um, college football playoff won best event of the year. Um, so we're very fortunate to be a part of, of both of those events and to play a, a small yet highly visual role. So, so staying in the same vein of culture, Hall of Champions, we're talking about that. Uh, that's a big part of the history of A&M, and that's obviously a big part of their culture. And honestly, that's why I personally love sports uh, and, and design, because it's essentially creating at this sort of intersection of competition and bridging these cultures and these generations. And honestly, like the, the whole mantra of my own independent design studio is sport transcends culture, it connects generations. And you guys yourselves have sort of trademarks designed for sport. Uh, give us a little insight into what culture means to you as a company. And I know you guys have had people that have sort of moved up through the ranks through the years. Anyone that follows you on social media, we can kind of see that you sort of tend to promote this fun culture. And to me, when I see people moving up uh, recently you guys had some promotions that means people stick around and that's rare <laughs> in today's day and age so can you talk about a little about the culture that you guys facilitate internally from a creative and professional development perspective and was that something that was on your radar in the beginning when you founded a company awesome that that's a great question i'll i'll kick it off but absolutely um it's something that we think about every day um, we really do value as partners, even when we kickstarted Infinite Scale back in 2002, we value work-life balance. Um, we value um, really loving what you do. And if you don't love it, think about finding something you love. Um, you know, that's why we're doing what we do here, because we absolutely love it. We love sport. We love design. And we feel very lucky to, you know, work at that intersection of sport and design. And I think when we bring anyone onto the team, um, we really approach it in a personal way. We, we take our time finding the right people because, you know, even, even though we're a growing company compared to other companies out there, you know, one person can really affect the, the dynamics of how everyone works together. Right. And so it's, it's quite a process. And um, we value, we value that the connection with each other because it's a collective here. It's, uh, we work with strong collaboration between each other and you know really really enforcing that we're not a company where we pitch designers against each other to do concepts and then whoever wins wins that concept it's it's really about we have design charrettes we work together we feel like our best work is everyone's thoughts layered on top of each other to really elevate at a much higher level Um, and we like to have fun because if you're not enjoying what you're doing I don't know that's just a sad life. <laughs> <laughs> is, is, is culture something that's teachable? Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's something that has to be practiced every day. And I, I say that in, an, uh, in a yogi way, I suppose. But um, it's something that if you, don't, if you don't really give it your attention, it will evolve into something whatever that something is. But if you really give it your attention and awareness um, and cultivate the culture that you really want, what you want the place to be and, and what, what's the environment that you want, what atmosphere do you want? You know, we, we create it based on what we want and what we want for everyone else. And, and also we're always open to feedback from the team and, you know, discovering, well, what makes you happy? Um, you know, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What makes you want to like, you know, 
work on the projects. And, and with that too, I think the other key aspect is to it is how we work with our clients. Um, you know, that's, you have to really enjoy the projects that you're working on. And we feel very fortunate to, to have all these amazing projects and clients and we get to go and experience. And we, we really do try to get all as many team members as possible to go and experience these events or these venues um, to actually see the work because most of the work is not here in Salt Lake City. It's all over. Right. And speaking of that being all over, you guys are opening another office. Is that right? In Cincinnati? Or you have opened another office in Cincinnati? Yes, we have. We have uh, five designers out there now. We started that office in August of 2015. And um, it is, yeah, it's it's already growing. And we're really excited about the kind of east-west right, right. <laughs> locations of... Uh, of infinite scale. So Phil uh, Cruzen Jr. is in the makers of sport community. So he, I know that he's up there right now looking for, for apartments. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Is, yep. He's uh, one of the newest team members. So you guys, and he, he interned there, right? He did out in Salt Lake city. So you guys seem to have a bit of a pipeline from Cincinnati. Yeah, we absolutely do. Well, that's my alma mater. Right. And the design program there is fantastic. Um, you know, they have an internship program, which is part of a requirement in the design program and, and other other degrees as well. But yeah, the students come out, they intern, um, they intern for us, and we've brought a lot of them on board. And I, I think that, you know, with Phil, uh, for instance, he actually came from Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, he found us. So in some cases, people find us and, um, you know, Cincinnati, we definitely have a, a, a relationship with because of, you know, it being my alma mater. And, right. Um, well, yeah. and it, I mean, it's one of the top five design schools in the country, I think. Yeah. You probably know yeah. better than me, but I remember actually, <laughs> I, I uh, so I'm, I'm super familiar with the Cincinnati design scene having, I went to Eastern Kentucky University, which is about an hour and 20 minutes south of Cincinnati. And we were always very involved in AIGA Cincinnati. So portfolio reviews up there and you kind of see like who goes where and, or like who, what schools are, are doing pretty well and, and that type of thing. I actually almost went there for a master's in design, but I eventually just decided that if I was to go that route, it would be because I wanted to teach and I'd don't necessarily want to be a professor. So mm-hmm. I just kind of did my own thing. But uh, so I do want to kind of be, I want to be respectful of your time, but just a couple more things here real quick. One of the undertones of the show is entrepreneurship. And I'm personally very passionate about starting things, be it side projects, side businesses, products. I try to push the listeners to do those types of things. And it sort of takes a, a special breed of person to, to jump into this crazy, crazy world of entrepreneurship and running a business. And you guys, obviously, I mean, you're having to deal with people's salaries and things like that. So it's a whole nother world. But speaking of side projects, you guys recently started an initiative to solve an eco problem that clients were having in reusing and recycling their one-time or event-specific signage. So you started Rescale Design. So can you tell us a little bit about what that division of infinite scale is and why it's vital to you as a company? Rescale is a is a is a kind of the ecosystem, if you will, of infinite scale and in that it allows us to be able to take some of the prototypes in our studio 
as well as our clients' projects and turn them into lifestyle products. Uh, it's it sparked with a bunch of leftovers from the 2002 Olympic Winter Games, believe it or not, where um, we had some contingency materials that um, that were found, and we turned them into uh, basically taking banners from from venues and turning them into blankets. And our clients love them so much that um, they asked for more. And so we started field testing um, different samples and products like duffel bags and journals that are wrapped in vinyls and fabrics and and really putting them to the test. And because these fabrics and vinyls, you know, these event materials are so durable that it's a it's a really cool one of a kind product. So not only does it keep these items out of the landfill, but you know, they typically for events have um, logos on them that can't be used again because the event, like, for example, the NHL All-Star Game, um, you know, it, it won't be held in Nashville in the near future and it has a date on it. Um, so it's not like they can reuse it again next year at the next All-Star Game because um, it's going to be in Los Angeles. So um, how can we keep those items um, out of the landfill and repurpose them into something really cool, something that's very unique, something that um, our clients absolutely adore. And um, NHL Green is actually a huge supporter of Rescale, um, will, where they will take um, the you know, the vinyls and fabrics and turn them into products that they've used at their NHL Green Symposium that they launched last year at the Green Sport Alliance um, and and for future items as well. So we're very, very proud of, of Rescale and, and what it does and, and our studio is as well. So um, we, we love that project. Thanks for bringing it up. So are they taking these items and auctioning them off and are any of them selling these items? It's um. It just depends. Sometimes um, they're used for, like, for example, um, board member gifts, or perhaps they're used. Um, we we have had some clients sell them. It just depends on um, you know their relationship with existing um, their existing merch providers and sellers and premium item companies that they have relationships with, um, and how can we possibly fold in? Um, we just had an NBA team in here this morning looking at the entire line that they're using for um, their corporate partner trip that they're going to be taking next season and um, and to outfit them with several rescale items to use, um, like, for example, passport covers and luggage tags that they're using from the, the street banners that were used this season. Um, so infinite scale doesn't even have to be a part of the design process. It's always great when it is, um, but um, it's something that we can transform the event graphics or season graphics into products um, moving forward just just for the good of mom earth. Right. Well, and I think it's interesting because if you, if you look at, if you view design as fundamentally design is about problem solving, this is, to me, is essentially the essence of that because in your industry or your specific niche of design, I, I never really considered how many things are sort of just throw away. Right. So it's it's a good way to sort of put those things back into into use. Well, in, in conclusion here, um, you guys mentioned some of the sort of things that you did for Texas A&M, but I'm curious, is there anything that excites you coming up in terms of technological advances in the world of environmental design, especially maybe 
smart stadiums or things like that? Well, there's a lot out there. Um, for us, it's been really this the spirit of collaboration and that all these creative consultants come together, whether it's um, a, a tech component or not. For example, you know, Venue Next creates these amazing stadium maps and they started doing it for Levi's Stadium, home of the San Francisco 49ers. And they came, you know, the team um, put us direct in direct contact with them to ensure that what we were designing um, for the static, for, you know, graphic guidelines, for all of the um, experiences of the fans at Levi Stadium connects with what they're doing on their smartphones. And, you know, what it does boil down to and, and the sheer essence of it is is the spirit of collaboration. And for us, you know, sometimes designers get stuck with this stereotype of that it's more about, you know, the the eye. Um, but we do follow the, um, you know, the concept and, you know, it goes back to our culture where there ain't no I in team when you spell it. Um, so um, that's something that is really important to us, not only on the ground at infinite scale, but on, on the field when we're working on projects. Um, and that is part of, of our culture every single day, um, where we do, you know, win as a team and work as a team. Um, so for us, it's, um, you know, that's, that's what it boils down to. Very cool. Well, speaking of culture, you, you have a couple of team members in there with you as we sort of do a live podcast. Why don't you guys just sort of shout them out real quick? Cause I know they were vital in helping us get this together. And, and I'm grateful for that as well. Oh my gosh. We have an amazing marketing team at infinite scale. Um, that's led by Katie Clifford, who is one of our newest team members as our marketing director. Hello. <laughs> and then we have a dynamic duo of our um, marketing designer and coordinator, Janet and Mackenzie. Give a shout out. Hey, hi. <laughs> right on. Um, and so they they make up our, our marketing team at Infinite Scale to help um, promote and, and, and all of the things that you mentioned in terms of Infinite Scale's outward-facing um, voice uh, really stems from the three of them. Well, I, I, I compliment them. They do a fantastic job of that. Just obviously having done research on the show, I got to see a little bit of it firsthand, checking all of your social accounts <laughs> and going back in time. <laughs> well, thank you for your research and interest in us. <laughs> well, no problem. Well, speaking of uh, social accounts, why don't you guys kind of give us, give the listeners... Where give out your accounts? Where can people follow your work online, support your work, uh, and that type of thing? All right. Well, you can find us all over the place. We are on Twitter at Infinite Scale. We are on Instagram at Infinite underscore uh, Scale, and then we do have a Facebook group, uh, Infinite Scale Design Group, and a LinkedIn page at Infinite Scale. So we would welcome your listeners joining our conversation at any of those places. We'd uh, we love to have more friends. Awesome. And you oh, guys. And our website, of course. Oh, yeah, infinitescale.com. We won't forget <laughs> yeah, that. Of our website at infinitescale.com, of course. Of course. <laughs> and, and you guys, we're you, all three. you're hiring, right? You're hiring designers. Is this correct? Yes, we are. We are. <laughs> all right. So, and those can all be found at our website as well. You can find uh, all the job descriptions and place to apply. Awesome. Well, I appreciate 
uh, all of you for taking the time to one facilitate this uh, this meeting in general, and then also the conversation itself. I really enjoyed it, and I think you guys do great work. And wish you guys the best of luck going forward as well. Thanks, Fantastic. Adam. Same Thank to you and to your community. My next episode is going to be a little bit different in comparison to all of the previous episodes, actually, as I'm going to be collaborating with Sean Callanan of from Australia, who runs Sports Geek Podcasts. And we are going to be doing what's called a crossover episode. So he's going to come aboard my show. I'm going to come aboard his show. We're going to essentially interview each other. And half of each episode will be released in each of our podcasts. So you will get one half of the episode here. And if you want to finish listening to that particular episode, then you're going to need to go to Sports Geek and listen to the episode there as well. Uh, Sean, I've mentioned Sean before on the show. He has a great podcast called Sports Geek Podcast. You can find out more about it at sportsgeekhq.com. Big thanks again to the founders of Infinite Scale, Amy Lucas, Cameron Smith, and Molly Mazzolini for taking time to come aboard the podcast. As they mentioned, you can follow them on Twitter at Infinite Scale, and then be sure to check out their design studio's work and approach for their projects at infinitescale.com. If you're interested in hearing more episodes, then head over to makersofsport.com slash episodes to check out previous interviews or listen to the original halftime episodes where I discuss business entrepreneurship and freelance in the sports industry. As I did mention at the beginning of the podcast, all future halftime episodes are available to community members only. So if you want to support the podcast and keep the show ad-free, you can join the community at makersofsport.com slash community. We just finished up a Q&A with episode two guest and sports branding designer Joe Bosack of Joe Bosack and Company. And our next Q&A is going to be with Bethany Heck, a good friend of mine and also alumni of the podcast who founded the EFIS League. She will be giving her talk on typography that she did this past spring at Creative South and a few other conferences. If you don't join the community prior to then, don't worry as each one of those Q&As are recorded and available in the community Slack. So anytime you join, you will have access to past Q&As and also the past half times. Again, I want to reiterate the podcast is listener supported and not sponsor supported. If you get value from the content coming from, from the podcast and its outlets and social media, email newsletters, or other areas, then please consider supporting the show. I ask that you vote with your hard-earned dollars to support the show by joining the community, and in exchange, you'll get access to premium content at the cost of around four or five coffees per month. Totally worth it to have coffee with some of the guests that come aboard and the people you get to interview or interact with in the community. For those that can't afford it at this very moment or for casual listeners, have no fear. The interview episodes will always be for free forever. If you miss halftime and can't sign up for the community at this time, you can sign up for Weekend Reads, which is a weekly newsletter where I write exclusive content and share the things that I'm reading, find interesting, or that inspire me for the week. In addition, on that list, you'll be notified in advance of upcoming guests and get podcast show notes delivered right to your inbox. By going to makersofsport.com slash email, just enter your email address to stay in touch with the happenings of the podcast and its future. Lastly, please take one to two minutes and head over to makersofsport.com slash iTunes. 
hit the five star and write about your experience with the show. If you've gotten value from myself or any of our other wonderful guests on the show, such as the kind partners of Infinite Scale today, then please share the podcast and rate the content so that others can discover that value for themselves as well. It's all about giving back and building this great community of sports designers. As always, I'll accept likes or ratings on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whichever application you happen to be listening in. I'm at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. The show is at Makers of Sport. Until next time, have a good week. We'll be right back.